0: a monarch butterfly, many of you are familiar with those, lays its eggs on a milkweed plant. And that egg, when that butterfly lays that egg, it is about the size of the period at the end of a sentence. I never knew that. That's something I learned this week. It takes about four days for the eggs to hatch into larvae or little teeny baby caterpillars. Unlike the Very Hungry Caterpillar in the book by Eric Carle that we have read many, many times as mommies and grandmommies, the monarch butterfly eats milkweed, and and of course that's the reason that the eggs are laid on the milkweed. Monarchs remain caterpillars for somewhere between 7 to 17 days before transforming into a pupa or chrysalis, and then when that monarch butterfly is ready to break out of that chrysalis, The extraordinary transformation is nothing short of amazing. The result is stunning and beautiful. We go from this to this. It's incredible. The transformation from egg to larva to pupa and finally to butterfly is a miracle. There's a complete change that takes place. The whole process takes about a month. The Christian life has been compared to the transformation that occurs as a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Our journey to grow up in our faith takes much longer than 30 days, and it will not be complete until we reach heaven. The biblical word for this transformative process is a big fancy church word that we call sanctification, and it's the topic of chapter 6. 7, and 8 and our study through Romans. We have finished up chapters 1 through 5, and now we're starting chapter 6 this week, and we'll continue the next two weeks after this to study this process of sanctification. Ladies, I would like to invite you to stand with me, as is always our custom, in honor of God's holy word, as we read from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin But under grace. Ladies, thank you for standing in honor of God's words. You may be seated. Would you just pray with me as we begin? God Almighty, you are ever faithful. We thank you for the grace that saved us, and we thank you for the grace that sustains us. Lord, let us lean in to this passage today. Let us drink deep from the well of your word. Lord, I just pray blessing upon each woman here. God, I ask for a takeaway truth, a nugget of truth, a passage of scripture, a, a, a A concept or an idea or a presentation of something in in just a new way that will reach the heart of every woman in this room. Maybe a unique takeaway for every one of us. But let us drink deep. Let us receive what you have for us. And let us leave here determined and renewed to live dead to sin and alive to Christ. Because through Jesus, that's who we are. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we are working our way through Romans. Chapters 1 to 4, we spend a lot of time talking about sin. And we celebrate that we are declared righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Last week in chapter 5, we talked about justification. Just, we are just as if we, we never sinned, that we are, de, we are justified by Christ. And we celebrated the benefits that come from that new justified status, the peace and joy. And we, we camped out there and looked at that. Paul taught us all those things about salvation. And now these next three chapters, talking about sanctification, we are going to learn what it means to live as those righteous women that we are declared to be in Christ. He wrapped up chapter 5 that we finished last week. Towards the end of that chapter, he he had these words for us. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased... Grace increased all the more, so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You see, we've talked about this, that the law reveals our sin. Grace justifies and redeems us from our sin. Paul is going to anticipate some objections and some questions his comments here so he's going to open up chapter 6 with a rhetorical question and then he's going to answer it so in light of what he had just said in romans 5 and knowing that there's going to be some people that say well but but now he says he asks the question and then answers it what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase so the thinking is well hey if, if sin just brings on more grace then that must mean sin is a good thing, right? Or or at least it brings a good result. I mean, doesn't God just love to pour out his grace on us? And so if my sin helps him do that, then isn't that a good thing, right? Wrong. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. By no means, Paul answers his question. By no means. Many had objected to Paul's justification by faith teaching because they were so very concerned that it would lead to this line of thinking, and eventually to immorality. But Paul says no, and then he impacts why we should not, why we cannot, why we must not continue to go on sinning after we have been declared alive in Christ. Romans chapter 6, we're learning that we are dead to sin. And here's my outline for what we're going to talk about today. In verses 1 to 10, we are going to be, we need to be believing that we are dead to sin. In verse 11, we're going to be counting ourselves dead to sin. And then in verses 12 to 23, we learn how we can be living as if we are dead to sin. Chapter 6 teaches us that we can live free from the oppressive bondage that sin wants to have over us. The theme is dead to sin. That is who you are. You are dead to sin. And because we are dead to sin, ladies, we can live a life. In Jesus Christ. Absolutely alive. At the table I sat in this morning, one of the women said the, how amazing it is to realize that we're alive. We're not just a little bit alive. We're not just halfway alive. We are fully alive in Christ. We are alive in Him. And so, verses 1 to 10, believing the old nature, the old nature that we are, we are born with is predisposed to sin, it's inclined to sin. That was our default. You know, when you turn on your computer, you've got a default font that shows up there in your email or in your word processing package. If you want to change that, you have to go in and reset it. We, our default mode was sin, but we've been reset because of our identity in Jesus Christ. We have a new nature. We have a new life. We have a new, ide- a new identity. His Spirit has come to reside in us. We are no longer slaves to that old nature. We are under new management. While our sinful nature is still very much in us, this side of heaven, it no longer has to control us. We have the power through the Holy Spirit to choose not to sin. We have been set free from sin, and so we can live free from sin. Paul uses The physical example of baptism to explain what happens to us spiritually when we become Christians. In verse 4 he says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Buried in Christ, raised to walk a new life. We've heard those words and phrases repeated. And every time we hear them, when we watch a little child or a grown-up person be baptized, communicating to the world that they have they've made this decision to follow Jesus. Let that always be a celebration in your own heart. Yet that sort of be your prayer. And almost sure you're your recommitment to say, Yes, Lord, I have been, I have been buried in Christ. My sin is gone. And thank you, Jesus that I have been raised to walk in new life. Let that be a renewal in your your own heart, a celebration of what God has done for you. Our identity in Christ means that sin has been conquered. It is a defeated enemy. It's dead. It's buried. That's what's depicted by immersion in water when we are baptized. Our justification by faith through faith means that we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. This is a done deal, ladies. That's our unchanging Forever eternal position before God. Like Abraham, who we studied recently, we believe, and it's credited as righteousness. That never ever changes. The woman of God believes that she is dead to sin. She believes she has been justified by grace through faith. She believes that her identity is in Jesus Christ. She believes that she has been set free from sin and death. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Are are you appropriating that in your life? Baptism depicts our sin to death. Our Our immersion under that water points to our death to sin. But we don't stay under, do we? When we go down, we come back up. We're dead to sin and we're raised to walk this new resurrected life as a new creation in Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our belief renders us dead to sin, but living this new life in him means we have to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, your translation may say count, it may say reckon, it may say consider, but belief is going to bring that change. This is the transformation. This is the action. Count yourself dead to sin. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Consider yourself dead to sin. You know, if, if I suddenly found out that I had a rich uncle that I didn't know I had, and let's say he died to lease me a million dollars, and I get word that it's been deposited into my checking account, and, and, and I see the bank statement, there it is. I have the deposit slip that's been mailed to me. I heard the voice of the attorney on the phone. I got his letter in the mail. It's all there. But, but if I don't count on it, I really haven't counted on it until I actually take a check and write it and act on it. It may be there, and I might really believe it because of all this evidence, but when I actually write the check and utilize those funds, that's when I'm counting on it being there, that I'm not bouncing a check when I write it or or give it away to my church. (laughs) You know, it's kind of fun to think about what you would do with a million dollars. Believing, though, counting on it, means you act on what you believe to be true. We believe that we're dead to sin, but how are we counting on it? How are we stepping out? And through our actions and our attitudes and our words, how are we counting on that being our reality? Are you and I counting, reckoning, believing, considering ourselves dead to sin but alive in Jesus Christ? Proverbs 4.4 4 says, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and live. That's how we remind ourselves to believe that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ and to count on it. That's how we count on being dead to sin and alive in Christ. We lay hold, we lay hold of His words. We hold on to it. We lay hold and then we hold on. Proverbs 4.13, just a few more verses down, says, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it's your life. We lay hold and we hold on. That's abiding in Christ. Belief wasn't just what happened when you walk the aisle at 4 or 14 or 24 or 44 or 74 or 84 or whenever that happens? Belief is for this day. Belief isn't just what happened at that day when you committed your life to Jesus Christ and, and made it public with your baptism whenever that was. Belief is very much a part of your present today. How are you and I believing and counting on that today? For you grammar experts, it's a present participle. I know we got some teachers and former teachers in the crowd. It's a present participle. It ends in I-N-G. That means that each day we are believing we are dead to sin, and each day we are counting ourselves dead to sin. So the woman of God believes she's dead to sin, and the woman of God counts herself dead to sin. Dead to sin and alive in Christ. There's no middle ground. Are you dead or are you alive? You're not just a little bit alive. You are fully alive. Remember the song we sang as kids at recess about the noble Duke of York? He had 10,000 men. He marched them up the top of the hill and he marched them down again. When you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. When you're only halfway up, you're, either up, you're neither up nor down. Well, ladies, we are in or out. We are up and we are down. We are alive or we are dead. We, you can't be halfway in or out. The question is, are you in? Are you his? Have you by grace through faith believed in Jesus Christ? And are you believing? Are you counting? Does today find you knowing and believing and counting on being dead to sin but alive in Christ? Are you today laying hold of that truth and then holding on to it? Our new life in Christ begins the moment of saving faith and it will continue for eternity. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. It may happen in our lifetime. The state of the world has a lot of people believing that time is close. We can't know for sure. Even Jesus himself said over in Matthew, that about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. But we do know that he will return, even though we don't know when. And we know when we look at the world and the culture that things just seem to be in that thing of the pendulum swinging the other direction. It just seems to be growing darker and less tolerant and less open for truth. There have been other times in history that that's happened. I don't think things just keep getting progressively worse. It's like a pendulum. We swing one way and then it seems to be there's revival or a great awakening and it swings back. I'm ready for that revival. I'm ready for that to happen. But here's the thing. Even though for many of us it feels like the culture is dark and things are hard and, and There there just seems to be so much darkness. The light shines the brightest in the darkness. If we are believing we are dead to sin, if we are counting ourselves dead to sin, then may we be found shining brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ and living as if we are dead to sin. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We should shine brightly. We should look different. Do not let that sin reign. We believe we are dead to sin. We count ourselves dead to sin. And therefore, we must live like we are dead to sin. That is our reality. Because we are dead to sin, we should live that way. Paul asks two questions in Romans 6. In verse 1, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. And then again, in verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And again, the same answer, by no means. He asks and answers both questions. He answers both by reminding us the truth about sin and about righteousness. So I want to spend some time now looking at what we learned about sin and our attitude towards it in verses 12 to 21. I'm going to go through these a little quickly. In verse 12, he says, do not let it rain. If you look at the dictionary definition of rain, it says dominating power or influence. So the question is, ladies, who controls you? Who controls me? And that is not a once-and-done decision. That is a daily choice. Amen. You get up every day and decide who's on the throne of your life, who is going to reign today. Number, verse 13, he says, do not offer your body to it. You know, I don't think anyone gets up in the morning and, ha- and, sa- and, and has offer my body to sin on the to-do list. I don't think that's on the list of things that we had planned for the day. No one goes to bed dreaming about, who shall I call the gossip to tomorrow? Uh, it's subtle. The evil one is very clever. Temptation just sort of sneaks in, slithers in like the snake in the garden. And it, and it just leads us along step by step. Don't put yourself in a position to offer your body to it. Verse 14, he reminds us, it is not your master. You know, when I say, Well, I just couldn't help it. Or we play the the age-old blame game. Well, it was his fault, or it was her fault, or I do, you know, every time I'm with her, that's just what happened. We're allowing sin to be our master. We're doing what Adam and Eve did. Well, it's the woman you gave me, God. Well, it was the serpent that did. We do not have to let sin be our master. Verse 16 says it leads to death, perhaps, perhaps not physical death immediately. Some sin does lead to physical death, but it can lead to death to relationships and death to opportunities and, and death to ministry and death to reputation even. Verse 18 says you have been set free. Jesus died to make you free. That is your identity. Verse 21 reminds us that it brings shame, and yes, we know this, don't we? Every single one of us has something in our past that if it were put on the screen or if the whole world knew, even if it was many years ago, our faces still today would burn red with shame and embarrassment. And every time we do it again and we vow that we wouldn't, it ends in the same place, to to a place of shame. And then finally, Romans 6.23 confirms that it earns death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sin earns us death, but eternal life isn't something we earn. It's a gift from God. And that gift is not only victory for all of eternity. It's not just victory for that day. It it doesn't just come from a decision we made way back when for a victory that's going to come way up there when. It is for this day in our present. It's not just a decision from our past to to confirm our future. It is for this day. It is very much in our present, ladies. It's it's so that we can live victoriously in our here and now, in this world. Paul says we have two choices. He lays out two very clear, distinct choices in Romans 6. He says either you're going to live as a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And given that choice today, in our little Bible study circle with all the women of God present, we would respond, yes, of course, I choose righteousness over sin because sin is slavery. Jesus tells us, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. How do we do that, though? That that, that thing that you and I can't not do. Why do we keep doing it? That thing that we can't not watch, that thing that we can't not buy, that thing that we can't not say or not eat or not do, that's what reigns over us. And that's what controls us. And that, for me, is different than that for you. But we all have a struggle. We all have a struggle. The world presents sin as a guilty pleasure or even freedom from rules. But make no mistake, sin is slavery. And it leads to death. And each choice that we make to yield to it or bow to it tightens the shackles and keeps us in bondage and makes it a lot easier for us to give in the next time. It does not lead to happiness or freedom, but it leads to shame and death. We just looked at all those verses in Romans 12 that show us. A Christian, a Christian who chooses a lifestyle of habitual sin and refuses to repent is walking in darkness. 1 John. One says this in verses 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live without the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. So two choices. We walk in the light or we walk in the dark. The darkness brings shame and compromise and death and even blindness. I, my, my daddy was a coal miner when I was born in West Virginia, and one of the things that I learned about the coal mines, at least back in those days, they would have a, a cart way down the bottom of the mine and tracks, and that cart would be pulled along by mules. And the mules that they would put way down in the bottom of the shaft of the coal mine, they didn't bring the mules up and down. The men came out to go home every day, but the mules just stayed down there, and they took the feed down to them and hauled out the the, ex, the excrement. Um, but those mules, because they lived down in the, in the darkness of the coal mine, they became blind because their eyes their eyes weren't exposed to the light. And I think that the, the more that we stay out of the light, we can become spiritually blind to certain things in our lives. We have light from walking with God. And as we walk with God, we have freedom from sin and we have victory to walk in the light means that we are believing we are dead to sin, we are counting ourselves dead to sin, and we are living dead to sin. So the woman of God lives dead to sin. The woman of God lives dead to sin. She believes she's dead to sin, she counts herself dead to sin, and then she lives dead to sin. We know that is true. We believe that is true. We know that our position in Christ means that we are dead to sin, but yet it's hard to live that out every day. How can I live out that reality in the trenches of the day-to-day challenges in this world? How does that happen in a practical basis in the struggle that we live with? You know, what I want to say to you is I don't have all the answers, but I've lived on this planet and walked with the Lord long enough that I've learned a few things. So I'm going to spend the rest of the time this morning just sharing a few ideas that have helped me find some victory in my life. Now, I'm going to call these Laura's Top Ten Truths for Living Dead to Sin because I want to make sure that you know they're mine. They're based on Scripture, of course, but but I'm calling them that because I don't want to suggest that it's exhaustive or conclusive or in any way complete or that I have it all figured out here. These are just... This is just a starving woman showing you, here's one recipe for bread. <laughs> you know. So each of you may have other ideas that you would add, and, or you may have had similar experiences to find something else to work for you. But these are just ten things that I think if, that you might consider if your heart is being stirred to take sin seriously and to choose to say, I want to live dead to sin. I want to live a victorious life. I want to live in the power of the resurrected life that I, I have. So here we go. Truth number one, and it's, it's, it's just my reality, right? Number one, want to eclipses have to. Let go of keeping that list of all the do-not-dos, the do-dos and the do-not-dos. You cannot main, maintain it. You know, I, I was that good girl. I wanted to do all the good girl things. And, and even if you found, find yourself on a, on a really good day that maybe for about 20 minutes you're able to keep the list and, and not break anything on it, all it's going to do is stir up some self-righteousness in your life. So let go of the list. Stop telling yourself that you have to do this. And if you're a good girl, you have to not do that. Instead, pray that God will give you the want to. Amen. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to want to. And even later, maybe find that it becomes delight to let go of that list. So, for example, just to make it maybe more clear to to understand, I love my husband but I don't have to keep a daily list that tells me what to do, right? I don't have a list every day that I look at that says, okay, now if you're going to love Kevin, remember to love Kevin. Kiss Kevin good morning and tell Kevin to have a good day and pray for Kevin at 10 and and make Kevin's lunch and pray for Kevin at 2 and send him a text that says, I love you, Kevin, and and, and don't sign up for a dating app and don't have dinner with another man. You know, I may do all those things, but I don't have to keep a list that tells me to. There's not a have-to list that I check off. And I certainly don't have to tell myself not to do those last two. It's a want to and a have to. I don't have to keep a, this is what a good wife does. You have to do this, Laura. I want to do those things because I love my husband. And I think if we love Jesus, there will be some, the have tos will give way to want to and to love to and to delight to. Number two, choose to obey. Knowing what is right and choosing to walk in that I think will bring blessings. It's not always gonna feel right, okay? And I think sometimes we as women use our emotions as an excuse. We say, well, I just, it's just a little hypocritical. I just don't feel like it, my heart's not in it, so I'm gonna hold back. Let your emotions catch up. You know, just put on your big girl pants, let your, your, your commitment to do the right thing be the engine that drives your train, and yeah. shove those emotions to the caboose. Because if your emotions lead out, you are headed to derailment. Our emotions are good, they are what allow us to be nurturing mommies and grandmommies and love people, but we can't let what we feel always dictate the course of our lives and the actions we choose to take. All of us are going to struggle with obedience in different areas. So, for example, I, I just was that good girl. All right, I, I never have tried drugs, for example, or marijuana. That's never been a temptation for me. That's not everybody's reality. Okay, I, I struggle with other things, but that's not been one of my things. For me, Going out and and sampling heroin has about as much appeal as going out to my garage and finding a bag of rat poison and getting a spoon and and, and, and digging in. It just has no appeal to me, okay? But there are other areas that I do struggle with, okay? But what I've learned is that in those areas where I do have a challenge, as I choose to walk in obedience, eventually even those things get moved to the rat poison category. Things that I struggled with earlier as I've obeyed the Lord, it's just loosened its grip. It's no longer an issue. And if we had more time, I would unpack what a lot of those are. But over time, I found that some temptations from my past, from my teenage years or my 20s, they just no longer, they just no longer have an appeal. I, I don't desire those things anymore. God is doing a transforming work. Now, I have a long way to go. I'm not suggesting I've got it all together. Please believe me here. I praise God that I'm not who I used to be. But boy, I look ahead with expectation and praise God that I'm not yet who I'm gonna be either. There are still things that are struggles and continue to be struggles. Truth number three is run, run, and run fast. Run may mean to physically removing yourself and moving from point A to point B. Like Joseph fleeing from Potiphar's wife and running so quickly he left his robe behind. For us, the move may be move away from the computer move away from the refrigerator, lay down the remote, <laughs> you know, and it, whatever it is, it might mean that you need to leave that party. Uh, you might need to leave the table or leave the conversation. You may need to change the conversation. But look for that exit sign, ladies. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out. That's the exit sign. A way out so that you can stand up under it. You know, there's an exit sign over the doorway here. When you are in that conversation, when you are in front of that computer, when you have that remote in your hands, look for the exit. Expect there to be an exit and take it. Pray that God will provide an exit, and when he does, run for it. Well, when you're in the middle of something and the phone rings, that's probably the exit. God is interrupting what you're about to do and shifting directions. Expect the exit. Pray for the exit and take it when it shows up. Number four, repent. Repentance, ladies, is more than just being sad about the consequences of what we've chosen to do, of what we've chosen to do. Second Corinthians seven ten says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death." There's a huge difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow says, I'm sorry I got caught. Worldly sorrow says, oh, I wasn't going to spend that much, and here comes the charge card, the charge bill, and I've got to pay it. Repentance means godly sorrow, not just worldly sorrow. You're not just sad about the consequences. True repentance means you've turned around. You've made that 180-degree turn, and you're walking away from it. It means you're mourning your sin. You're hating your sin, and you're turning away from your sin. It's not just, oh, I'm sorry, and then doing it again. It's truly turning from it. Number five, identify the trigger. You know, if going to the mall makes you overspend and that's your issue, then just don't go to the mall. If you can't stop at one, then don't buy a dozen donuts. If you can identify someone or somewhere Or something, if gambling is your issue, don't go to the casino. If there's that girlfriend that every time the two of you are together, you just sort of bring out the worst in each other, then you've got to be prayed up to continue that relationship or take somebody else along. Whatever it is, a person, a place, a thing, that triggers you to cross that line to sin, then pray for a plan. Identify that trigger and pray for the plan and then follow the plan. Take the prescription that God gives. Truth number six, remove the keep out sign. I wonder if sometimes do we consciously or unconsciously tell Jesus, just hands off here, here, God. Just just leave me alone there. Are, are there areas that you've declared off limits? Have you said, Jesus, I want to give you my marriage. Jesus, I give you my finances. I give you my, my ministry. I give you my relationship with my children but I'm just going to hold on to this one thing. Now, I'm just not ready to deal with this one thing yet, God. Pray for God to change your heart. Yeah. Remove, ask him to remove the desire for that besetting sin that wants to trip you up and give you the desire to give it to him and stop trying to fix it or delay fixing it on your own. Give Jesus all of you. Nothing held back. Remove that keep out sign that you have consciously or maybe unconsciously nailed up there. Number seven, choose joy. Giving into sin always results in a loss of joy every single time. It's a brief, fleeting little bit of happy that we indulge in that is quickly gone and robs us of joy for the long term. So choose joy over happy. Decide that a little bit of happy is not worth it at the expense of a long-term joy. Number eight, seek restoration. Do you remember the story about David sinning with Bathsheba, and later when he repented and he wrote that beautiful Psalm fifty-one? Some of you are familiar with this verse. He wrote in verse twelve, "Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me." Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David is acknowledging that he had lost his joy when he was in, when he was sin, when he was in that sin with Bathsheba. He lost his joy. When you read that, because he sinned and he's praying for God to restore the relationship. But as I camp out on this verse, I think I realize that it also works in reverse. David sinned because he lost his joy. He failed to maintain his relationship with God. Do you see? Do you yes. see the truth there? You, you, you. If you lose your joy, it can lead you to sin. But if you sin, you also re- lose your joy. So... If we we choose to maintain that relationship with God, it protects us from sin. Jesus calls us to abide in him. So that's truth number nine, abide in Christ. Jesus said this in John 15, verses 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Whether your version says abide or whether it says remain, the point is the same. We need to stay close to Jesus because we need him. I have found that staying near to him and abiding in him and staying in the word and drawing near, that's the very best protection against sin. Just stay close to Jesus. Instead of focusing on I can't do that, Say, I can't stay close to him. Neg- when we neglect our quiet time, when we just say, oh, I have too much to do today, I'm going to skip over that, I know that when, when, when I don't make that the priority of my morning, I'm leaving myself exposed and vulnerable. Yeah. I, I just am. It's like a police officer going into a, a, a battle and not wearing his protective vest. It, it, we, we need that protection from God, and I find that I have to renew it every single day. If, if I get up and try to go out and face the day uh, without having been filled with, with Jesus that morning, the Laura in me starts to show pretty quick, and nobody wants to see that, you know? Nobody wants to see that. I want the Holy Spirit in me to lead out. I want the Holy Spirit to protect my tongue and my mind and my thoughts and my actions. I'm hopeless apart from him. I am nothing apart from him. I can very easily revert back to that girl again. I have got to abide in Christ if there is anything good that I can hope for to happen for that day. It's impossible to simultaneously abide in Christ and indulge in sinful behavior. They are mutually exclusive. And so finally then, number 10 is worship. Worship is the natural response to abiding in Christ. When He reveals Himself to us, we respond in worship. When When we finish our quiet time, whatever He's taught us, whatever that precious passage or or just piece of a phrase from a verse, wherever we've camped out, we we continue to walk in worship. We worship with our quiet time, but then as it continues to resonate and marinate in our hearts and our minds and we talk about it and we share it and we we share it with others and, and, and pray it back to God, it's almost like a continual conversation with the Lord, a continual praise. It it permeates our thought life. It's a walking in worship. We begin in worship, and then we walk in worship. In Matthew 28, 16, this is is a few verses just short uh, of the Great Commission, the Great Commission that many of you memorized as children, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples. That's our assignment. But I like to back up to verse 16, where it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they obeyed Him. They went to meet Him. And that's what we do every single morning. It says, that, And then it goes on and says, And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. And when you see Jesus, when you have that encounter with Jesus, every single morning in His Word and in prayer, when you see Him, how can you do anything but worship? You know, when we stand in His presence, as the song goes, will, will I stand and praise Him or will I fall to my knees? We don't know. And, and sometimes, even in this world, well, when we don't see him yet face to face, but we know he's there and we feel his favor. Do you ever fall on your knees in worship? Yes. Do you ever stand and lift your arms in worship? Do you ever sing your worship? It looks different for all of us. But when we when we are worshiping Jesus, we, we can't be simultaneously worship worshiping and be caught up in sin. Worship becomes our protection from sin. So in summary, here are my ten ways to, um, to try to live free to live dead to sin, want to, eclipses have to, pray for the want to, choose to obey, run, repent, identify the triggers, remove the keep out sign, choose joy, seek restoration, abide in Christ, and worship. One of my favorite pastors from many years ago when I just had one little one-year-old little boy uh, back in Cincinnati, Ohio, his name was Jonathan Burnham. And from this godly man, I learned many things, but one thing that I heard him say over and over again is that the Christian life is not the easiest life, but it is the best life. And I've always remembered that. This list is not easy, but it will bring a life of victory and freedom as we choose to believe and count and live dead to sin, but alive in Christ. You see, the grace that saved us is not a license to sin. It's Freedom to live for God, to live all in. Not halfway alive, but fully and completely alive. Perhaps our struggle is not unlike the one of the monarch butterfly as it breaks out of the cocoon and emerges as a beautiful butterfly. You know, I've read that the struggle to break out of that cocoon is what makes the wings strong enough to fly. Are you, are you ready to soar? The struggles in life will make you stronger. Are you ready to live as that free in Christ woman that you are? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This transformation is a process. It's, It's not a once and done. There may be situations in life where God heals you completely, But often, our journey to victory is just that. It's a journey and a process. But the joy of abiding in him and the joy of walking in worship and allowing the Holy Spirit to give you that victory, of being transformed into his image, of fulfilling our purpose to live out the gospel by bringing glory to God, oh, ladies, it's so worth it, isn't it? There's nothing in this world that can compete with the satisfaction of walking and abiding in Him, living dead to sin, and living alive in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God Almighty, how we praise You that through the person of Jesus Christ, we can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Jesus. We believe we are dead to sin, we count ourselves dead to sin, And Lord, would you please enable and empower us through your Holy Spirit to live, to live dead to sin, to live as the alive, declared righteous, justified, redeemed women that we are, all because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, have a great week.